0: C'est, c'est bon.
1: Welcome to Paris Good Food and
0: Wine, I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Like those
1: French people do.
0: Because it's all so good. In this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine for November 2015, we'll be hearing all about ways in which the centuries strong Franco American relations are deepening. The golden nugget of this episode is an interview with members of the 1855 Bordeaux. Grand Cru Classé organization, telling us about their participation in supporting the reconstructed replica of the frigate called L'Hermione that the Marquis de Lafayette, who we Americans call our French founding father, sailed to the United States on in 1780. L'Herbion is the three-masted 32-gun frigate that carried Lafayette to New York's harbor in 1780 when he was bringing good news to the American independence fighters. His king and the sovereign nation of France would support us militarily. Just this last summer, July 1, 2015, a replica of the frigate arrived in New York's harbor with much fanfare and also with the support of the Castine Historical Society, the nonprofit dedicated to keeping this history alive in our memories today. The New York Times documented the frigate's arrival last summer by noting in their July 1st edition, quote, the last time a boat sailed into New York Harbor bearing the Marquis de Lafayette. The year was 1824, and some 50,000 people, roughly a third of New York's population, lined the streets for a glimpse of Lafayette, the French founding father, who was visiting the United States as part of a 13-month triumphal tour of the nation he had helped liberate nearly a half century earlier. In this episode 11 in our season 2 of Paris Good Food and Wine, we'll also be hearing from a young author, mother, and Parisienne, Clotilde de Soulier, who takes us through some of the colorful idiomatic French expressions that she documented in her newest book, Edible French. Clotilde is the founder of the popular culinary blog, Chocolate and Zucchini, which she writes in both English and French. To round off this segment, I'll be introducing you, formally this time, to our featured restaurant reviewer from episode 10, namely Gilles Pudlowski. Pudlow, as he refers to himself, has a 25-year history as a culinary journalist and restaurant critic here in France. He'll also be telling us about his content-rich blog he launched five years ago now. So sit back and enjoy another half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host and producer, Paige Donner.
1: (laughs) But you know, this old world still's got problems. And sometimes I think that you can solve so many problems yourself, but other problems takes the whole doggone world. You know, no matter how much money you got, those bombs can still fall down in your head. That's right. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside, down by the riverside Lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Study war. Down by the riverside Down by the riverside All right, so uh,
0: here at the Paris Étoiles, at uh, in fact, at l'Étoile-sur-Mer, which is the former uh, Guy Sav- Savoie, chef Guy Savoie, Trois Étoiles, kitchens, and now it's run by his uh, commander-in-chief, uh, chef Clément Leroy, but I'm here in the company and at the invitation of the president of the uh, what's called the Association 1855, so eight, the 1855, and that uh, means everything in the world of wine, but rather than me try to explain it I'm gonna ask Mr. Philippe Castagia, the president of that prestigious Bordeaux Association, to um, explain to us w- what it is.
2: Well, thank you very much for coming. The uh, uh, 1855 Cru Classé Association is an association which is uh, in charge of taking care and protecting the uh, classified growth against, uh, I would say, uh, copies or uh, problems that uh, they may have.
0: And you two, you're um, you also individually, uh, you have quite a stakehold in Bordeaux. I know that you're one of the oldest and only uh, still independent, family-owned groups that you um, you you grow the, you grow you know you maintain vineyards, you own chateaus, and you also distribute your wines. Can you just say a couple of words about about your own enterprise? I believe it's called Bori Manu, correct? Yes.
2: Bar is a is a family group and we are wine merchants as wine merchants of course we distribute uh, all our colleagues all the other chateaus and also our own estates because we are also growers and um, we uh, grow uh, over 6 or 700 acres of vines in the great appellation in Poyac, in Saint-Estèphe in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol, and among them we could uh, uh, speak of uh, Chateau Batelier, Chateau Lynch-Moussas, in Pauillac, Chateau trois de of course, of Saint-Emilion, then uh, Domaine de l'Eglise in Pomerol, or La Croix du Castle also in Pomerol, and both in Saint-Esteve. So quite a nice spectrum
0: that's a lovely spectrum and the the history too of all of the chateaus but but also w- one of the ones that i find g- quite intriguing is the history of of lynch musas because it's your family that when the two chateaus the with the two domains were divided it was your family that
2: not exactly but it was uh, it was uh, when uh, lynch musas and lynch bass separated that was in 1828 uh, and um, the uh, beige part was separated from the original chateau because of uh, inheriting problem and it was uh, sold to the Jurin family.
0: Great. Okay. Well, and also, what really one of the the focuses of this uh, conversation today was because um, your association, the 1855 Grand Cru Classe, you helped organize a very prestigious auction, and that auction was um, held to benefit the uh, L'Hermione, the restored frigate of Marquis de de, de Lafayette. Yes. So could you explain a little bit about how that all came together and and how did you get the the estates to contribute the wines and why it was such a wonderful bridge between our Franco-American relations? Well
2: in fact uh, it's the uh, Franco-American Association that uh, is in Washington that uh, spoke uh, about it with us and we knew that there was the Amiens a trip to United States, as uh, you know there are large links between bordeaux and uh, united states also let's uh, let's remember that uh, Lafayette left from Bordeaux in fact from poillac in the med- in the middle of the Médoc, he left from poillac for United States, and um, this is most important, so we thought that the best way to uh, to show our friends of United States that we were really uh, having a uh, f- thinking that it was a great moment we uh, made a special uh, selection of all our all the 1855 classified uh, growth uh, all the bottles were engraved uh, signed and there was a, a sale that was done in Miami and the uh, money collected was for the association.
0: That's such a wonderful and I believe the the winning bid was uh, right around hundred and fifty thousand or, or something. Over,
2: over hundred fifty thousand dollars for 85 bottles which are unique of course and uh, I must say that um, the uh, couple who uh, bought it uh, are uh, real wine amateur
0: yes they are they're they're great wine lovers and experts and I believe that it was primarily 20 the vintage of 2010 and and 2009 correct it's
2: uh all 2010 2010.
0: yeah well yeah (laughs) well thank you for pointing out the fact that the Marquis de Lafayette had uh, left from Poyac I had um I had glossed over that point, so thank you for picking that out. And then also, um, subsequent, there was a bit of an itinerary put together for Bordeaux wine appreciators, lovers to to actually follow in the footsteps of Jefferson. Is that correct? Did did you have a hand in
2: that? Yes, because of Jefferson. And also, so I said, uh, Lafayette left from Pauillac, and uh, Jefferson was a... A greater matter of uh, Bordeaux wines. And he came to Bordeaux, visited the estates, uh, made notes, and he had his personal collection, and the bottles were engraved in those days in his name. So uh, this, is, uh, this is why, and he was a greater matter of the, uh, what is now the 1855 classifi- classified growth. So it means that we have peculiar, uh, I would say, family links with the United States.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I just want to comment on, a little bit on the, the terms used because I know in French you say grande amateur, amateur, and that means like somebody who is like a real wine enthusiast, a real wine lover. Um, so it's uh, just, to, just to clarify that that point, it's, uh, it's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philippe.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Down Thank you.
1: by the riverside, down by the riverside, later. My sword and shield down by the riverside. Study war no more.
0: Now, to chime in on this whole historical almost kind of a reenactment of the Lermion and its departure from from Bordeaux on its way back to to the United States, uh, we have with us now the um um, well, you, what is the, actually your official title? You're the, you're the person I always communicate with. I know you're communications director for the Grand Cru Class A 1855. But Sylvain, tell, tell me exactly what your official title is.
3: So, my name is Sylvain Boisvert and I'm the director of the 1855 classification. And in fact, when we, we have the information that the army come in Bordeaux, we, we think it's a good idea to, to give a gift for the boat. And uh, the gift is uh, the collection of the, all of the bottles at uh, the classification 88 bottle of the vintage 2010 and uh, we give that at the boat uh, to keep and uh, go to the United States with a bo- bottle in fact.
0: That's so, that's, that's so generous because uh, it sounds like it wasn't premeditated at all. It, it sounds like you didn't really say, okay, L'Hermione, you know, it's been reconstructed, it's coming to Bordeaux and we're going to have a look at it. It sounds like it was sort of just, just kind of spur of the moment, just, a very generous... Uh
3: yes, but uh, in fact, it's a story of Bordeaux uh, but because Jefferson came in Bordeaux for the first time and he, he learned the wine and in fact to to... Uh, to, to speak about this uh, story, we, we give the bottle.
0: And, and of course, and it must be noted, of course, too, that 2010, that 2010 vintage is one of the hardest vintages to come by because it's so prestigious.
3: Yes, it's the most beautiful vintage in Bordeaux. Uh, so uh, it's fabulous vintage <laughs> and uh, it's really a, a, a very beautiful gift, in fact.
0: Well it's just it's wonderful and that and that's why I I wanted uh, I really wanted to sort of document this because what you know you and and Philippe and the rest of the of the of your members in the 1855 Grand Cru class A uh it's such a generous gesture towards franco-american relations. So and so th- and thank you again for doing this interview today.
3: Uh, thank you very much, beige. Thank you.
0: Next up is Clotilde de Culier. She'll be speaking to us about her newest book, Edible French. I'm Paige Donner, and you're listening to Paris, Good Food and Wine. So we're sitting here right at the butte of Montmartre, which is, you know, right um, before you go up to sacre Coeur. at this gorgeous little coffee shop that my guest today, Clotilde de suggested. And it, it is quite lovely. It's um, part of a sort of new coffee... Um, the coffee trend that's sweeping through Paris right now and uh, I'm so pleased to have this chance to to speak with this author this young author mother Parisian and culinary expert Clotilde de Soulier. Clotilde tell us a little bit about several of the books that you have out.
4: Um, So I have I have a blog called Chocolate and Zucchini and um, through the blog I've had the opportunity to publish several books one of the latest is called The French Market Cookbook. It's a book that celebrates the love story between French cuisine and vegetables. So it's all vegetarian recipes inspired by um, the French repertoire. And it's recipes organized by season, so you can, you can uh, really follow whatever is on market stalls at any point of the year. Um, so The French Market Cookbook came out in the US first, and it was just published in French uh, under the title Vegivore here in France back in February.
0: So Now, that's really remarkable. You're uh, a native French uh, person, you're you're native French, and yet you actually publish your books uh, first in
4: English. Uh, That must be quite uh, an endeavor. It's, um, It's sort of serendipitous in the sense that when I started my blog, Chocolate and Zucchini, 12 years ago now, there were blogs only in the English language. So that's how I started mine. And so opportunities first started um, coming through um, the U.S. Uh, side of the, of the spectrum. Um, I, I write chocolate and zucchini in French as well now and, and have for the past 10 years. <laughs> and so now I have work opportunities on both sides of the Atlantic. But um, my publishing network is more, is more New York-based than Paris-based great. And, you know,
0: we're going to focus in on on one of the books. And I believe you mentioned, you said that this one was published two summers ago. Is that correct? Okay. C- tell us the title of, of this book and tell us a little bit, give us a bit of an overview.
4: Um, so my latest is called Edible French. It came out last fall. Um, and it, it, the subtitle is Tasty Expressions and Cultural Bites. The um, premise of this book is to collect 50 French expressions that are related to food. Um, if anyone is interested in the French language you soon discover that we use a lot of um, imagery in our um, in our everyday language and a lot of those expressions or idioms are related to food to ingredients and it's either old slang words or just um, references to food-related situations. I think food is so important in the French culture that it just seeps its way into the, into the language really strongly. And so I picked um, 50 of those idioms, some of the most colorful and the ones that had the most interesting stories, and had them illustrated by a friend of mine, Melina Josserand who's also a French woman, but she lives in London, and she does really beautiful watercolors. Uh, kind of whimsical, very, uh, very colorful, very fresh, and so it's a very um, giftable little book for anyone who loves French food and French language.
0: Great, and you're going to choose uh, two or three of those idioms and just kind of uh,
4: let, let us immerse ourselves with you, yes? Okay. Um, So it's hard to choose because they're all, I mean, the 50 that I selected are all ones that I hold very dearly, but um, one that I thought I could mention is called, it's La Moutarde de which is which literally means the mustard is rising to his nose. And you say that of someone who's getting increasingly impatient and angry. as perhaps you know, French mustard is a lot stronger than even what French mustard uh, is sold in the US is. And if you ever um, uh, eat a glob of mustard that's a bit a bit larger than you intended, you probably have noticed that it kind of um, creeps up your, up your nose and burns your sinuses. And so this is the image that was picked to express, you know, getting really impatient. And, and it's true that when you feel the strength of the mustard kind of rising up your nose, you can imagine what it's like when, when you're really getting you know, you're trying to stay calm, but you know you're really having a hard time, and so you would say "la moutarde lui for someone who's really um, just about to, you know, explode in anger. <laughs> that, I think that's a good one to know here in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, maybe maybe you'll find a use for it in your everyday commute. <laughs> um, and another one that I wanted to mention is "long comme un jour sans pain," um, so it means "long like a day without bread." And it's uh, it's an expression that's used to express that something is very long and dreary um, like a speech for instance it might be long comme un jour sans pain long like a day without bread and the meaning of this is pretty self-explanatory it's that when back when bread was really the the staple food of you know, the workmen. Uh, if you were going without bread, it wasn't because you were gluten-free. <laughs> it was because you had nothing to eat. And so a day of complete fast, if it's not a personal choice, that would feel like a day that's very long. And so that's, that's whence the expression came.
0: That's interesting and I remember on a previous um, on a previous interview uh, the baker Frederick Lalos mentioned that you know f- even 50 years ago French people ate like twice as much bread as they do today
4: it's true it's true but bread still is very much a, a foundation of the French the French diet in Paris where there are so many gorgeous bakeries you know there's one at nearly every corner and especially in this neighborhood in Montmartre we have a lot of bakeries and we have a lot of bakeries who won the best best baguette in Paris competition Uh, within just a few a few yards we have we have a handful so we're we're spoiled for bread and it's very tempting to buy a fresh baguette every day certainly great did you have one more for us maybe uh yes Sure, I can mention um, another one that I really like that's called prendre de la brioche. So it means uh, gaining brioche and it means um, growing a pot belly. So when you've kind of put on a little weight and, you're, and your stomach is not, is not looking as firm as it maybe once did, um, the French expression I- says that you've gained brioche. And I really like um, this expression because first of all, I think it's, the, the the look and texture of a pod belly <laughs> does kind of look like brioche a little bit and i think it's um, it's nice because it's an endearing term rather than um, making you feel guilty <laughs> for putting on maybe a few a few extra pounds you know it's it's a um, it's a uh, it's a tender way of looking at that podbelly, belly you know kind of like a muffin top <laughs> in a sense except the except the brioche is in the stomach area rather than the hips but but i like the way that it's um, that it's, it's kind of implying that it's not, you know, it's nothing, to, it's nothing to worry about. It's just that you ate just a little too much brioche and maybe you should come back. <laughs> Those are all so cute. And it,
0: it, I agree with you. It really gives us a nice uh, insight into the way, into the French mind, I think. yes. yes. And where, where can we find this book here in Paris or even in New York?
4: Well, um, so the book is called Edible French, um, it was published by uh, Perigee Books, which is an imprint of uh, Penguin and you can find it at any bookstore in the US and uh, here in Paris you can find it at any English language bookstore such as W.H. Smith or um, Sha- Shakespeare and Company or online on any, on any you know, book selling site that you like.
0: Thank you so much, Clotilde, it was really nice of you to share those idioms with us.
4: Sure, my pleasure.
0: Next up, we have with us again Gilles Pudlowski, who calls himself Pudlow, and he tells us a little bit about his background and how he came to be one of France's preeminent culinary writers and restaurant reviewers here in Paris. Okay, so I have the, again, the great honor and privilege to be sitting across from Mr. Pudlow, Mr. Pudlowski. Gilles um who's a very, very well-known name here in France and, and in Paris, too, especially. And I've always wanted to ask you, what? how did you, st- I mean, you're, you're prolific and you're uh, very insightful about your restaurant reviews and your culinary critiques. How did you start writing about food?
5: Uh, it was uh, something like uh, 30, 35 years ago. Um, it was really... Uh, uh, a chance. Like, uh, I was lucky uh, to do that because I was first literary critic and then I just began with jean a great uh, Jean-François Kahn was a great uh, uh, manager of uh, journalists. Uh, he was the um, chief redactor of uh, Les Nouvelles Littéraires, literary news and uh, he told me that uh, we have not enough in the the redaction of, uh, to, 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 to have too many people to write, so uh, every everyone must make two things, you know, together. So, uh, I was in charge of the literary, uh, French literary, and all uh, the books we were published. And I was uh, my my hobby was the gastronomy, so uh, I, I tried to speak to to write about restaurants. So, I just began, and uh, you know, when when you make uh, a food, <laughs> it's begin by uh, just uh, a little. Um, a little a um, first pas first foot like that, you yeah, know. Like the first, step uh, and then first step, first step, exactly. Voilà. First, step, when you make first step, you don't know uh, exactly uh, what what it could happen after. So uh, uh, I'm I'm really surprised now uh, that my job is to to write about restaurants because uh, it seems to be something very funny for the people. What, what is your job uh, it's to write about restaurants? What your job is to to eat in the restaurants and to drink a lot of cereal? Oh, people are so so surprised, you know. Uh, but it's really, um, I, I tried not to eat too much. I tried not to drink too much, but I tried to write much, you much.
1: Know.
0: Well, you're very fit, so obviously you don't overindulge, and but you you are prolific. I mean, uh, your blog, um, which is one of the things too that you've been very forward in, is you started a blog. How many years ago now?
5: Uh, five years. Five years. Five years. Uh, five years and a half. So uh, it's not so not so old, but in Facebook we have maybe something like fifteen. Uh, 15,000 likers, you know, and uh, a lot of hours also on Twitter. And uh, for the blog, we have uh, 300,000 uh, persons who follow us every month. So uh, it's something uh, more important than uh, some guides and some papers. Uh, and uh, every um, Tuesday, every Monday, uh, I wrote the Chutti du, du Lundi. It means uh, the noises that the uh, the noises of, yeah. the noise of the little noise of the little lives of the Monday Mondays.
0: Yeah. Oh, echoes, yeah, or maybe like a roundup. Is it kind of like you do? do you do all the top notes of the, what's happened in the culinary scene during and that? What happened
5: exactly? So we give all the the news, the little news of the the kitchens. You know, we send France radio marmite. So uh, everything is very uh, important, and. Um, I must some find something new every week, so uh, we have no time to rest on.
0: No, no you don't. You're a very, very hardworking man, and you're also very well respected by every single chef I've ever had the chance to, to speak with. And today too, we're in this lovely surroundings, in these art deco surroundings, right on Avenue Georges 5, and I, I want to thank you so much for suggesting this, this, lovely, um, this lovely tea room. What, what do you think about this, this tea room here?
5: Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful place because uh, it was historic place uh, from the art deco, art deco style from the 30s. It has been refurbished two years ago by uh, this bar by Philip Stark uh, with a, a splendid bar with the uh, splendid lights. And the food also is made by um, a young chef, a lady, which is called Stephanie uh, Leclerc, which is very gifted. So everything is quite new and we are here in the heart of Paris and uh, it's something different for George Sank, something different from uh, uh, Plaza Athenée, and something maybe New Year's, newest place, uh, more trendy maybe.
0: Yes, yeah, the Prince de Gaulle is a very lovely property. I, Mr. Pudlowski, I want to thank you very much for spending this time with us. Thank you very much. The show is brought to you by the support of Paris Food and Wine. Visit us at Paris Food and Wine. Dot net.
1: Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, study war. No more. Sing with me.
0: Thanks for joining us for this half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. And it is all
3: because it's so, so, good. Ah, voilà. Oh.